Hi, I'm Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. Uh, so today, first topic is around StockX. StockX and GOAT, which Foot Locker put $100 million into, they are both what started out as sneaker consignment marketplaces, B2C, vertical specific marketplaces, consignment being, you know, you have third party sellers saying, Hey, I have really cool sneakers and other people want to buy these sneakers. Even though sneakers are heavily consolidated on the manufacturing side of the supply chain, there is a lot of fragmented supply because, uh, you have, you have so many people buying them retail and then reselling them. So you have your producers are these resellers buying them at retail for say 200 bucks or 300 bucks. And then if you can get them because these there's so many limited releases and all these things, then you can sell them for, you know, 400 bucks or 500 bucks or, you know, many of them are uh, much higher than that or in the thousands of dollars, but none of them are retailing for a thousand dollars. So there's a huge market for middlemen to buy low and then resell at a higher price. And that's essentially what StockX and GOAT have been doing. So StockX did this state of StockX report that just came out and there's a full report which can go into more detail. But basically the takeaway is they're on fire. This is not cheap stuff. I think one part of this is there's new and there's used. And so, you know, you would say to yourself, I mean, none of this stuff is cheap. Um, there might be discounts and deals to be had on here. But what they're saying is May and June were their two biggest buyer months in the history of the whole platform. And, uh, you know, they say here they've done two and a half billion dollars of GMV over their lifetime. Last year, we were reporting for 2019. They said they were on track to do a billion dollars in GMV annually. They've basically done over five million transactions uh they have 10 million lifetime sales and over half of those in the past year so 5 million transactions uh in the past 12 months i guess europe is growing for them here so just really interesting to go deeper into this the information here so 500 dollars is the average price paid for shoes it's not cheap stuff right so this is certainly a more affluent demographic of shopper. Maybe it's just because these people don't have any other, no other hobbies. If there's no sports, you know, you can't go out to restaurants and socialize and 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 go out to clubs and nightlife and the, and you're just kind of stuck at home. So what do you do? You go on StockX and shop. I guarantee that's probably part of the uptick here, where you know a lot of this demand, a lot of this. Uh, their their consumer base has disposable income, haven't maybe been as negatively affected by COVID as less well-off consumers, right? That are not going to be looking to spend $500 on a pair of sneakers. You know, the consumers are just captive consumers. They have nothing else to do but <laughs> go shop on StockX. That's one theory I have. The other theory is that I do think people are clearing out their closets and they do have a lot of extra time and they are saying, hey, you know what, let me let me sell this used stuff that I haven't worn or, you know, I don't really want to wear anymore. And so I do think you are seeing a lot of used inventory come onto these consignment marketplaces. And then therefore, you know, you probably do get some good deals. Again, still expensive. 
It's not like you're getting a $500 pair of shoes for a hundred bucks, but you know, you are getting good relative deals because there is a lot of used inventory coming online on the supply side to these, to these consignment marketplaces. So StockX and Goat are both private, but uh, Farfetch and The Real Real are the kind of more holistic luxury goods marketplaces, somewhat similar to them, but um, you know, the, like designer shoes and handbags and these other kinds of, you know, product lines. Whereas these two companies are really, I mean, they're now branching out into other stuff like watches. There are also watch marketplaces, which are very cool. And I think I've heard doing pretty well um, during COVID as well. Again, you know, who's spending thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on a watch? Um, probably that demographic is a little bit more insulated than others uh, during during these calamities going on. But anyway, Farfetch, I mean, they're down 6% today, but the whole stock market is has just started to tank in the last few hours because I guess people have started to realize that there's crazy unemployment and the Fed is just artificially inflating uh, stocks by going on crazy spending sprees. But whatever, that's besides the point. That said... Now it's 5%, you know, uh, stock market's all over the place. But um, Farfetch and The Real Real, two public companies, uh, Farfetch out of the UK, Real Real, the kind of US equivalent, smaller, uh, Real Real stock is here, about a billion dollar market cap. Anyway, you look at these companies over the past month, this is the past six months, you know, Real Real got down to around five or six dollars uh, in mid-March. Farfetch got a re- got down to. They actually didn't really go down that much in mid March. I mean, they went down a little bit, um, maybe into the sevens or eight dollars a share. But now they're up to about twenty one dollars a share. And so the interesting thing with both of these companies is, StockX just came out with this information. They said May and June were our two best months ever. Now this is a growing company, so you should hopefully want to see them having their best month ever is kind of like a, uh, you know, a repeat trend, right? Um, that you, you should have huge growth, right? Like that, the, these companies are huge growth. You're doing a billion dollars in GMV. You know, you should be having huge growth anyway, but they are clearly saying that their, their marketplace is doing very well, even better than what they would have hoped to do if Corona hadn't b- happened, right? So what that leads me to say is, hmm, I wonder if the same or similar thing is happening to Farfetch and Real Real. And I would imagine that you probably got a pretty good chance that they would say something similar. It's not an exact corollary, um, but Etsy is, you know, kind of like these craft made goods. Etsy literally has tripled in its stock price in the past few months. So, these kind of smaller boutique marketplaces that have kind of some new or like used craft good inventory, we're seeing them do very, very well. Partially because you can't go to retail stores, A, and B, you're able to maybe get a lot of this kind of extra used inventory or additional supply, um, which which just helps that, that consumer demand uh, transact. So- my bet, my stock pick would be that when these companies release earnings, I think Farfetch is releasing earnings in, in mid-August. My guess is that they're going to have a pretty strong Q2. 
and uh, and that and that the stock market will reward them, assuming not everything has collapsed and and uh, you know, and then I can't predict any of that. But everything else remaining equal, I think Farfetch and Real Real, relative to uh, what one would expect their performance to be, will outperform. And uh, and I think you're you're seeing that in StockX's numbers and some other pockets of certain times of pro- certain types of product marketplaces. I mean, even if you include Amazon, that Amazon stock's over three thousand dollars a share. I mean, Amazon's also been doing extremely well, just given how big they already are and the scale that they operate. So um, that is uh, pretty interesting. So we'll continue to follow that. On the other hand, though, uh, Yelp. And restaurants are not doing so well. Yelp has been saying that, you know, half of the restaurants on Yelp temporarily closed. So just think about that. I mean, Yelp, I mean, they have restaurants all over the country. Uh, And they had originally said that um, more than half or roughly half of the restaurants on Yelp had closed, right, temporarily. Now they're saying they've permanently closed, so 60% of the 26,000 temporary, temporarily closed restaurants uh, on Yelp are now permanently closed. Yikes. You know, we're talking like 15,000, a little more than 15,000 restaurants permanently closing. Yelp's previous report in April found that more than 175,000 total businesses we're closed in some capacity. That's not just restaurants, right? There's a lot of other businesses besides restaurants on Yelp. And they've been tracking about 5,500 uh, temporarily. So they had said, oh, there are about 5,500 temporarily shuttered bars and other nightlife establishments. Now they're saying 44% of those, so call it half. You got about 2,500, uh, 2,700 of, of the ones that were temporarily shuttered are now permanently closed and you can see here this graph here of temporary closures and now permanent closures it's pretty uh devastating and it's really just sad to see you know honolulu hawaii need tourism there's no tourism and tourism's not coming back anytime soon um you have this is closures per 1000 businesses here so um you can see the the uh, the red is the permanent closure. The the gray is temporary closures. Right. Um, San Francisco is the second highest. Uh, interestingly enough, you have lots of California cities on here. Actually, probably about sixty or seventy percent of their top metros here are all in California. Uh, by state, similarly, Hawaii has the most. Um, is at the top of the list by state in terms of temporary and and permanent temporary closures uh, and then permanent closures thereafter, Nevada, California, Arizona, and then it kind of drops off to Arizona, Washington, Oregon. It's really tough times. And I mean, it makes sense, right? Like you rent is such a huge part of the expense of any of these businesses, restaurants, uh, you know, entertainment, nightclub, these kinds of venues, and there's only so long that the landlord's able to give you grievances or work with you. What are you going to do? Because even if you can open up, you can open o- only open up partially or you have to have outdoor seating and you can only, you know, service a, a portion of what you could have serviced. And it's just such a difficult business. It, it is a difficult business in a regular 
business cycle, right? The margins on any anything in the food industry, whether it's food distribution, grocery, restaurants. I mean, the margins are razor thin in a regular operating environment, let alone now you talk about this and you can only have at best, say, half the volume that you could have had. And who knows about if, if your food expenses have now gone higher because of supply chain issues. And I mean, there are just so many challenges for uh, restaurants and nightlife and all of these businesses that you know are, are, are in person. And can uh, food delivery make up for it? Clearly not. So, um, yeah, you know, hopefully you can just go into bankruptcy, shed yourself of, of the debt, of the lease, of the liabilities, and then hopefully in the future at some point, you know, reopen. But you don't know when that's going to be and how long is it going to be like this. And especially if you're in these colder cities where, okay, in the summer or the fall, you can you can do these temporary outdoor solutions, but what are you going to do uh, in the winter? If assuming you still have certain protocols, you don't want to have indoor dining and so on and so forth. I think very realistic uh, concerns and considerations. What are you going to do then? It's just a very dismal outlook. So you know, there, there's this weird discrepancy where the stock market just kind of seems to be shaking this thing off. But I mean, you look at these numbers and it's a very different story. Maybe that's some of what we're seeing why the stock market's kind of having a pseudo crash right now. Um, but we'll see. In other news, Uber just continues to chug along. Uh, they bought this uh, public transportation company called Route Match. Seems like a relatively small um, acquisition for them, but basically they provide software to public transit agencies. And the th- thing that I thought was interesting about this is we've also seen Waze do this, where um, Waze is like a more articulate version of Google Maps. They have, well, they drain your battery a lot more than Google Maps, but uh, they also provide a lot more user-generated data. So, you know, as a user, you get points for flagging certain things like accidents or hazards on the side of the road or, you know, police having speed traps. Um, Although I think the police are preoccupied with other things these days. Waze has a lot more of this granular information. They get a lot more accurate GPS readings. You know, if I'm really in a traffic jam, I'll hop on over to Waze um, as I I like their kind of traffic planning and and, and that data a little bit better than Google Maps. There is an integration because... You know, when Google bought Waze, it was funny. It was like a billion dollar acquisition. And their reason for buying it was basically, we don't want anyone else to have this. So, so we bought it. Billion dollars. That was, that was quite literally the press release. Maybe not word for word. That was pretty much their messaging around it though. And they're like, don't worry. It's kind of a inconsequential price for us. Billion dollars, whatever. Anyway. Ways what Waze has started to do is have a more integrated solution with transit departments and with these kind of local municipalities, transit agencies. Um, so makes sense. You're seeing now Uber follow a similar path there. I think it's a great way also for Uber to engender support from these government entities and say, hey, how, how can we help you? How can we help bring software to you? I can guarantee you that RouteMatch, I mean, this was a private business founded in 2000. There's no public information on them raising external capital. So that means it had to be a profitable company. What will Uber do to route match now that they own it? What they will probably do is lower the price of its software 
and try to get a lot more adoption of the software by subsidizing the cost of the software, right? And that is pretty much every, it's a very classic 101, platform 101 strategy. It's called commoditize the complement, basically saying you buy technology and then you give it away for free or you heavily subsidize the price or the cost of that software for your users. You lower the barrier to entry so you get more adoption and more usage on your platform and you're monetizing the usage on the platform. So now Uber isn't necessarily trying to, you know, monetize the usage of the public transit agencies, but what they want to do is they, I think, want to start to monetize the money that you spend on public transportation. So what does that mean? Like, um, buying, uh, um, you know, a Metro pass in the subway or, um, you know, the, the bus passes to take either your bus transportation, your subway or train transportation. These are all government, uh, run transportation entities. So now if Uber is providing software into these agencies, route match has partnerships with over 500 public transportation agencies they should be able to have a much tighter collaboration to help consumers choose, you know, do I want um, an Uber ride-sharing car? Now they have, you know, the, the scooters, the e-scooters. Now it could also be take the subway, you know, take the bus, and you just pay for that all out of the Uber wallet. We've seen Uber make a big push into Uber wallets, right, where um, there's now an Uber credit card. You can store a balance in the Uber wallet. You can use that wallet for transportation and Uber Eats. Again, you're just kind of seeing the the breadth and the power and the scale of the platform conglomerate versus Lyft. I mean, I don't I don't see or hear of Lyft of doing any of these things. I don't really hear much about Lyft anymore. Uh, I mean, Lyft is around, but you know, in terms of saying hey, how are we continuing to disrupt? How are we continuing to make waves? How are we continuing to evolve and innovate on our business model? I actively see Uber trying things and some things aren't working, right? Like trying to buy, buy a Grubhub. Um, and, uh, you know, but they're trying. And, and, and they're in an easier position in the sense that they're the dominant ride-sharing company compared to Lyft. But that goes back to my point on the power of the platform conglomerate versus these platform companies that have just one platform business. And that's what everything is based upon, right? Kind of like these single digit billion dollar market cap platform companies. You know, are they able to really break out and then start to diversify and have a couple different platform businesses stack on top of each other? It's very hard to make that leap from kind of individual platform entity which is a great business. And if you're the founder of that business, my hat is off to you. You've created huge value, huge wealth for yourself and many others, right? I mean, it's no small feat. But from a, um, say from a plat perspective, uh, the, the platform ETF with Wisdom Tree, or just looking at, you know, that broader trajectory once you hit IPO, which one of these platform companies do you want to bet on? I think we you start to see a very different profile of business platform conglomerate versus individual platform company. In closing, another example of this is Microsoft, which just came out with their Q2 earnings and um, they crushed on earnings, but the stock was down. They crushed on earnings, but the stock was down. Why is that? 
because these stocks are basically all based on uh, their growth prospects. So they had great earnings. I mean, they they beat on revenue, thirty eight billion versus thirty six point five billion expected. This is in one quarter. They beat on you know a bunch of stats for Q two, but the thing that really dragged down their stock was they had lighter expectations that they said on future growth. So, you know, they were less bullish on what the future entails than what, than I guess what analysts and the stock market had hoped. And so their stock went down. This was, I, I thought, a really good uh, chart. You can see here their um, growth by different product line, Azure being at the top, and then cloud services, enterprise services, Office consumer products, cloud services. Uh, this is kind of this middle line here. I think that includes LinkedIn. Yeah, they own LinkedIn. It's bundled in there. Search ads declined. That's funny. That's actually the only thing that declined. And then look at Xbox. Up 65% all the way at the bottom. That kind of makes sense too. Everyone's just at home playing video games. Buying stuff on uh, Fortnite or the Xbox Game Store, right? But look at this strong growth all over the place. I mean, 19% on server products, 19% on Office 365, 47% on Azure here. It's slowing. Azure is slowing, but it's you know it's a massive uh, business for them, so that makes sense. But nonetheless, stock is down. Interesting, right? That's not platform conglomerate anymore, Microsoft. They are now st- straight up just monopoly status. So, you know, it's platform conglomerate on top of platform conglomerate. I mean, they own LinkedIn and it's not even called out in in the breakout. It's bucketed into a line item of revenue. That's how that's how platform conglomerate Microsoft is. But so is Apple and Google and Facebook and Amazon. And that is the last topic. So today or on Monday, uh, I think that is the, what, is, what date is that, Monday? Uh, the 27th, on Monday, the 27th at noon Eastern, a very special show called Everyone But Microsoft Testifying in Front of Congress. That And the CEOs, you're going to have Zucky, you're going to have um, Sundar from Google, you're going to have um, Jeff from Amazon, and you're going to have Tim from Apple. And they are all going to be testifying in front of Congress, all four of them at the same time. I think it's going to be it's going to be pretty interesting. I wonder what uh, what they're going to hit him with. I mean, what just came out today is there's some other kind of suit or, or, or challenge against Apple. So it's, it's, all these politicians are now kind of you know, they're, they're getting all their shots in or, or, or the DOJ is getting their shot in before now the CEOs have to testify on Monday. So noon Eastern, don't watch it on TV, watch it on uh, winner take all live stream. We're going to be streaming the four horsemen uh, without Microsoft there uh, in front of Congress on Monday. That's going to be, that's going to be one you don't want to miss. So um, I will talk to you in a couple days. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us.